Welcome, welcome, welcome into Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on a Tuesday. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you. 46862 is how you interact with us on the text line. We'll get to headlines in just a bit. Coming up on the show today, Dylan Sin of the Journal Gazette will join us in hour number two, talk some IU and Purdue basketball, along with a change in the Big Ten. And we'll get to that change and debate that at the end of this hour. Plus, also in hour number two, uh, I don't know if you caught this during the... Uh, Ravens Chiefs game, but one of the officials had some issues. Uh, if you if you mm. missed it, he, he had some issues with some calls, and I'm not talking about like bad calls, which I know everyone's going to say. Well, the refs always have issues with bad calls. No, this was him delivering the calls. We'll, we'll get to that. Um, this is a, a debate that I think we could have every year, seemingly, and it's who is the second best quarterback in the NFL. Patrick Mahomes is clearly number one. I don't think anyone's going to debate that. And he's kind of on his own tier right now. But who's number two? Um, we keep getting flack because we, we say Lamar Jackson. But hey, I mean, his team at least made it to the AFC Championship game. So uh, we'll get to that top of hour number one. Also, or hour number two. Also an hour number two at the end of the show. Did they find Amelia Earhart's plane? One explorer. I read says about so. this yesterday. I Fascinating. Am fascinated by this as well. Uh, also, in hour number one, uh, the Big Ten makes a weak move for basketball. IU gets another five star visiting and has nothing to do with basketball. And Tyrese Halliburton's return expected tonight. So that's all to come on the show this morning. So action packed morning. Let's get to it. And. We have another uh, four-pack of PFW Sweet Tickets to give away. So yesterday the keyword was Macedons, and uh, let's just do – they're playing Milwaukee, right? So let's just do Milwaukee Mm -hmm. as the the code word. So text Milwaukee to 46862, and you'll be in the running for a four-pack of Sweet Tickets. See the Dons and Milwaukee, 7 o'clock Thursday night at the Coliseum in the suite. And, wow, someone already texted – you people are fast. On it. So that is the keyword. Winner will be selected at the end of the show. So make sure you're uh, getting your entries in early and often throughout the course of the show today. I'd love to get you in that suite for the uh, for the Mastodons game coming up on Thursday. See if the Dons can string together consecutive wins. We shall see. Uh, that, that, that will be a needed improvement over some struggles over the last couple weeks. So we'll see what the Dons can do on Thursday night. And you could be there again. Just text Milwaukee. To four six eight six two, and you'll be entered to win a four pack of sweet tickets. Winner selected. End of the show this morning. All right, let's get to headlines. And I know you you sent me this yesterday. Just monster TV numbers for the NFL. I mean, not that that's a surprise, right? But the NFC Championship game, fifty six million viewers, which is the best since two thousand twelve. Pretty, pretty, pretty wild, but not, I mean, every time these numbers come out, it's it's just, it's not surprising, not surprising at all. 56 million. It's the highest rated, what'd you say, since 2012? And that was Um, the Giants overtime win over the Niners. Just uh, the NFL keeps NFLing. And and think about that, that that's only rated higher because you have New York and San Francisco, right? With a Super Bowl trip on the line. This is with Detroit. So you have a lot of the country rooting for Detroit to try to break through and San Francisco, obviously a big market and a team that's been in plenty of NFC championship games over the last five years. 
And we'll see if now the upcoming Super Bowl. Now, remember last year with the Chiefs and Eagles, the uh, the the rating 115 million viewers in the United States for Super Bowl 57 last year. It made it not only the most watched Super Bowl in history, the most watched or the most popular TV program of all time in the United States. So 115 million viewers last year for Super Bowl 57. We'll see if Super Bowl 58 can eclipse that. Now, I have not seen ratings released by CBS, so we do not have the AFC numbers. I don't think it'll be as Which high as tells the me it's not as NFC high as 56 million. <laughs> Which, Based I mean, on the, the game. Yeah. yeah, I mean, expected to with the uh, late, or earlier in the day as opposed to later, uh, bleeding into prime, prime time, but just... NFL continues to just put up stupid money or stupid ratings, and they're just printing money over there, the office of of the NFL. Yes, but it's all a conspiracy to get Taylor Swift to the Super Bowl. I, <laughs> I really have zero... We barely talk about these conspiracy theories about, like, like, do you know how much it would take to rig games in the NFL? I mean, it's, it's like, it, it's so improbable and impossible that I don't even... I, I just don't give it a second thought when people say it. Like, do you the, understand the players how are, stupid that are more is? likely to rig games themselves by like a bookie, right? And some sort of for sure. But it's there's no script. There's no nothing like this. It's like it's it's so silly. I would agree. Uh, meanwhile, elsewhere in the NFL, the Chargers uh, finalizing their GM hire, and it is Baltimore Ravens director of player personnel Joe Hortiz as their GM. He'll be paired with Jim Harbaugh. Uh, Hortiz, 48, been with the Ravens for the past 26 years. So from one Harbaugh to another, from John Harbaugh and the Ravens to Jim Harbaugh and the Chargers. Um, But interesting move. There are a lot of other names talked about in this search, including Colts assistant GM Ed Dodds among them. But it looks like Hortiz is going to be the guy in Los Angeles. Spent a long time, his entirety of his career with the Baltimore Ravens and was involved in their two Super Bowls and uh, runs to the AFC Championship games, et cetera, et cetera. So a long history of success for him in Baltimore. We'll see if that can be transferred over to the Chargers as they look to build a potential Super Bowl contender with Jim Harbaugh, of course, at the helm. And uh, I'll have a more... Comments, I guess, in regards to the Chargers, top of hour number two when we do that quarterback debate. All right. I think that's something to keep in mind moving forward. All right. New AP poll is out, and really no surprise. Purdue stays at number two. UConn stays at number one. But as some of the notes, uh, what the Boilers have accomplished this season, uh, they are now tied with Ohio State. Uh, Let's see. One, two, three, four. In fourth place, um... For most weekly streaks in the top five in Big Ten history, Boilers 29 straight weeks started uh, last year. In the top five, huh? Yes, in in the top five. Ohio State uh, did it for 29 straight weeks, 2010 to 2012. Uh, Then you go back to Michigan, 1964 to 66, had 33 straight weeks. IU, 38 straight weeks, 75, 76, 77. No surprise there. And then Ohio State, the all-time leader, at least among the Big Ten, 1960 to 1963, they had 41 straight weeks in the top five. Wowzers. Now, I'm going to ask you this. I saw this on Twitter yesterday. If you had to uh, place money on this, would you take to win the national championship, UConn, 
Purdue, Houston, or the field? Oof, I'd take UConn. So you're taking one of those three teams. So I'm saying UConn, Purdue, Houston. One of those three teams wins the national championship yes. or the field. I would you be, say yes, and you're saying it's UConn again. I, I would be very surprised, and I get the tournament produces surprises and teams get hot all the time, but those three teams feel like a clear step above everyone else. I think so too. I mean, you have North Carolina right now. It's playing really good basketball. Um, Duke, Kansas, Tennessee. Kansas is faded. I mean, let's. They yeah. have not lived up to the, the preseason. From the preseason hype. expectations, for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I tend to agree. I'm, I'm you just, you're trying to look at someone else. Anything can happen. I get it in the NCAA tournament, but I do think your national champion comes from one of those three teams right now. Uh, also with Purdue, another note, uh, quad one wins and no losses outside of quad one. Purdue, UConn, and Houston. Go figure. Of course. So, see, uh, Purdue and UConn both have seven quad one wins. Houston has six. And doesn't Houston have Kansas still on the schedule? I do so. think so. <laughs> yep. I think they'll get there. Just saying. Yes. <clears throat> but I, I, I feel good about those three teams. If you're going to say, take these three teams to the field, I'll take those three teams every time. And I've been saying this for weeks. I think UConn is a, a repeat national champion. And yeah, it's it's looking like one of those three teams is going to win the national title. Uh, anything can happen. Plenty can happen for sure. But man, uh, it, I think it's one does of those it three. help that I mean the the Big Twelve is pretty good, but they're not like insane like they've been in years past. And then the Big Ten is weak. Yes, even even the Big East really isn't as strong as people thought it'd be this year. Right. So does it help that those teams have? much easier conferences than anticipated. I, I definitely that think that's a good good argument, which just is, is to say then are they a product? Not saying that they're as they're this good because of the weakness of their conferences, but are they looking as dominant as they are because of those conferences being down? And I think that could be I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but you could definitely make that case. And then elsewhere in college basketball polls, uh, the mid-major top 25, and there's a new team, Indiana State, number one in the hey. mid-major top 25. Uh, so congrats to the Trees. They've had an incredible season, and, and hopefully they make it into the tournament even if they don't win the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament. Yeah, I mean, they've, in- they've done enough, you hope, to do so. To get an at-large, yeah. But the Missouri Valley is not treated like it was, say, a decade ago when they could get multiple bids no, in that it, league. It's very true, but Indiana State eighteen and three this season, um, is is has played phenomenal basketball. You, you hope that they're not left out if they don't win the valley. But um they've done a tremendous job down there. We'll see if the trees can make the tournament. And a lot of people picking the trees to be that sweet sixteen team if they get in. So we shall see. Hopefully. And some good news at Homestead. Will Jamison had his first full practice back with the Spartans. Saw this yesterday. Was a was a great to see. Talked to Coach Chris Johnson a couple weeks ago on the Coaches Show, and he mentioned that maybe Will would be able to get back this season at some point. And uh, the, the health issues he had, health scares um, before the prior to the season or right before the season started, um, he was able to overcome those and now back on the court. It was great to see. So Hopefully, Will Jamison suits up maybe as soon as this week uh, in a game for the Homestead Spartans. Tremendous boost for them, both uh, mentally 
and talent-wise, because Will Jamison is one of the best basketball players in this area this season. And basically has a month you know, before sectionals to yeah, you know, round get into, into a groove a little bit. and, and mm-hmm. get into good physical shape and just get used to the flow of the game so hopefully things go well and he can be playing his best basketball right around that time. All right, big news for the Indiana Pacers. Tyrese Halliburton expected to return to the lineup tonight when the Pacers play at Boston against the Celtics. About time. Yeah, and he's missed 10 of the past 11 games with that strained left hamstring. He can only miss four more games this season to be eligible for the All-NBA money, which is absurd, as we detailed last week, over $45 million. Um, if he makes any All-NBA team, whether it's first, second, or third team, which he will as long as he meets that 65-game threshold, which I would hope the NBA reviews that. And again, we said it last week. I said it when this came out. 65 games seemed a little high. Maybe 60 would be more fair. Um, just people miss miss time due to various injuries throughout the NBA season, but playing in 60 games, I, I mean... That seems like plenty of playing time. 50 seemed too low. 65 certainly seems too high. Yeah, and I think when you look at... I I appreciate the NBA going after the... Load management. Load management thing. I I, I totally get it. I'm glad that they did. Maybe they just reached a little bit with the amount of games. 65. I'd put it at 60. I, I would as well. So Pacers at Celtics tonight. And you can listen to the game right here on 1380 The Fan pregame at 7. After the Mastodon's Coaches Show, tip at 7.30 in Boston. So you want to catch the Pacers. We have the game on tonight and in a big one because the Pacers seem to play their best basketball against they do. the Celtics, the Sixers, and, of Bucks. course, the Bucks. Who, yes. They went 4-1 and one against the Bucks. They already wrapped up that series in the regular season. So uh, hopefully another opportunity of Halliburton and Pascal Siakam, perhaps they're Second game playing together as Indiana Pacers. Remember, Halliburton came back and then left that game early against the Suns just over about a week or so ago. So hopefully tonight is the night that he is healthy, and we'll see how those two can play together. Yes, sir. Long long awaited. And you just hope that Halliburton is uh, completely healthy, ready to go. Yeah, because, I mean, a hamstring strain, one of those things that can linger and come back, so you hope this is this is it for that and he's ready to go for the rest of the season. 46862, again, is how you reach us on the text line if you have thoughts on the Pacers or if you have thoughts on the Big Ten and this move that they're making. It's a weak move for basketball. And once again, conferences catering to football but not thinking about the impact it has on basketball. We'll explain what the Big Ten is doing next year. Coming up next, you're on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kenny with you. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862, your text line number. And you can text Milwaukee to 46862, be in the running for a four-pack of sweet tickets. See the Mastodons and Milwaukee. Go yes. figure. Or... Uh, Milwaukee. Yes, Algonquin for the good land. <laughs> <laughs> if you know, you know. Yes, that is right. Um, so we were talking in the first segment about just the, the absurdity of anyone saying that the NFL is rigged. Yeah. Did you see this story for um, that came out this morning on Awful Announcing about some of the N- uh, NFL Today crew on CBS? 
So they got like attacked, right? Yeah, they got accosted at the Baltimore train station. So they were heading back to New York uh, via the Acela train, Amtrak Acela, which is like the high speed Amtrak train in the Northeast Corridor. And so they were chilling out at the train station waiting for the Acela. And um, Boomer Esiason calls this guy a uh, an asswipe douchebag <laughs> that came over. He goes, uh, the guy originally came over, said hi, exchanged, exchanged pleasantries, and then he came back, apparently. He decides he's going to come over and he's going to talk to us about how the NFL's rigged. He's using very colorful language, uh, Esiason said, explaining that he chose to look away and ignore the belligerent fan. Uh, Bill Cower opted to engage. Of course he did. Uh, Esiason proceeded to do uh, a gut check um, with the man next to him. He said, listen, if he gets any closer, I may have to get up and Evan smash this guy right in the face. I'm trying to watch the NFC Championship game on the iPad. Um, so this guy, this guy um, <laughs> is trying to watch the guy next to Boomer Esiason is trying to watch the NFC Championship game. And the guy is yelling at him about the, the NFL's rig. So... You know, just a Baltimore fan upset that his team lost, but anyone that tries to even hint that the NFL is rigged, I have zero time for. None yeah, whatsoever. No, no. And remember after last year's Super Bowl, like, oh, the script was written. It's like, come on. Like, <laughs> do you understand? Like, this is my thing. This is it how was I've, pass interference at the end of the game last year. This is, this is what I don't understand from people. And this is kind of how I feel about, um, and I'm big into history about the JFK assassination. Like the longer you get away from it, there is zero evidence that there's a conspiracy. Like, you know how deep it would have to go and how many people could, would have to keep their mouths shut for something like that to happen. Like people can't keep their mouths shut for anything, whether they're posting on social media or talking or whatever, or on their deathbed conventions, all that stuff. Like, do you understand how many people would have to be involved in a conspiracy like that? It's impossible. So that's why I just have zero time for it. Anybody that at, that tries to even have, you can't even have an intelligent conversation about that. Anybody who brings it up, it's absolutely absurd. I have zero time for it. And the NFL Today crew was not immune on Sunday at the Baltimore train station waiting for the Acela. I just, I one, I can't imagine even, like, I mean, I've I've been at the Baltimore train station going back between Baltimore and D.C. Yeah. On, on Amtrak. And I just one can't even imagine seeing them like at the and be like, oh wow, that's Bill Cower, that's Boomer Esiason. Yeah, they're like, just chilling, waiting. For, like I know. would not want to bother them. Yeah, that's always. But people get pretty bold. They do. I wouldn't even be like if I directly ran into them. Um, maybe I'd say hi and you know shake their hand or something. But like if you see them sitting. What, like I'm not bothering them. Like, yeah, and I'm not going to pick a fight with them. Like, come <laughs> on. About uh, well, the key thing was Nate Burleson wasn't there. Apparently, he had he went to the bathroom or something. Like, if think of Nate Burleson in particular was there, wouldn't be messing with the NFL Today crew. But <laughs> we uh, already got a conspiracy text on JFK. We we've gone off the rails we already. Well, let's, no, let's, I have, let's get us back. Look, I am fascinated by that topic. Okay. I read books about it and stuff, but the longer it goes, like it's it's absolutely absurd that there's anything other than that. And the same thing with the NFL is rigged crowd. Like, yeah. do you understand how many people would have to keep their mouths shut in a day and age when nobody can keep their mouths shut? Especially it's impossible. Social media. Yes, it's impossible. Someone anyway. else can March Madness be rigged this year and have Purdue win? Uh, I'd be on board with that. Uh, yeah. Can it? Uh, can they at least rig it so they don't lose to a 16 seed? Maybe. 
Just a final four. I think that's all Purdue fans want. I think they're they're as we get closer. I think it's an interesting topic to to discuss as we get closer to March, and we're just a couple days from February, and the success that Purdue is having. Do you start if you're a Purdue fan? Start getting more and more nervous. <laughs> Like, seriously, like, I, I know you're super excited about your team, but you're also looking at it, and we, t- we talked about it earlier. There's one of three teams. There's three teams that are far and away the best teams in college basketball right now. It's UConn, Purdue, and Houston. And you have to think, Purdue has as good of chance as maybe ever to win a national championship, let alone a Final Four. How much, when does Purdue fans' excitement start turning into nervousness, especially after last season, when you go, oh man, we really are this good and we really should get to a Final Four. When does the excitement start turning into, oh God, we're getting closer. <laughs> this is going to happen. The, the day of dra- the calendar flip day, March 1st. Oh no, yes. it all comes crashing down in two weeks. I mean, not that not that you're, you're concerned they're going to lose to a 16, honestly, but like, just not meeting expectations again. Do you start getting nervous if you're a Purdue fan out there? Because you're 18 and two, you're the second ranked team in the country. Everybody's looking at you as a clear cut national title contender. When does that excitement and ecstasy of how good Purdue is start turning into nervousness as you get closer to March? Or does it? I'd be nervous. I'd be nervous. Like, oh God, this it's going to go south somehow some point it I, did emphatically last yeah, year yeah i it's it's like a sense of dread of like oh here we go great regular season but are you going to celebrate as a purdue fan let's say they do get to the final four you celebrate but it's more like a, an exhale i would feel like audible exhale that hey they 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 met expectations as opposed to falling short falling short I, I'm just, I wonder, it's been quite the ride for Purdue, great season, et cetera, et cetera. But like for some Purdue fans, I feel like the closer you get to March, the more and more nervous you have to get. So there text, are zero excuses. Someone texting in a four, six, eight, six, two as a Purdue fan. I'm tempering. My expectations have been all season. Yeah, well, whatever works, whatever gets you through it. I mean, here's the thing though. Even if they fall short in March, you still have this run of of regular season success for three straight years, which is still more than anything IU's done this century. Yeah. It's outside just, of one uh, tournament run. It's just, man, um, regular season. Uh, Purdue has reached a point where regular season doesn't matter. I mean, we, we've talked about it before. Is Purdue and Purdue-Fort Wayne are kind of in the same boat for, for, for different reasons. I mean, Purdue-Fort Wayne has done everything in the regular season, but make a tournament and win the conference tournament. That's that's what the next expectation is for PFW. Meanwhile, for Purdue, this team, the expectation is Final Four. Anything less than that is, quite frankly, a disappointment, a big disappointment, particularly in the last couple of years having this opportunity. And from disappointment in the tournament to disappointment with the Big Ten itself. Once again, the Big Ten giving in and making the weak move they're going to stick with a 20-game conference schedule, which is not really the thing I'm upset about. It is confusing how they're going to do it because 
you have 18 teams starting next fall and that's fine for football right they've they figured that out but for basketball they're going to stick with a 20 game conference schedule you have 18 teams so that means you'll play 17 teams once and then what protected rivalry three rival games so IU Purdue twice IU Illinois and Purdue Illinois twice and one other random game like you know how are they going to do that that is that's one thing but only 15 teams, not 16, not 18, but 15 teams in the conference tournament. They would have an extra game on the Wednesday because they don't want to play a sixth day. So they want it Wednesday to Sunday, like they've done. Right. Which we debated this a while ago about yeah. should every team in be this, in the Big Ten tournament. Now the Big Ten is reportedly joining the ranks of not having every team in their own conference tournament. I just don't understand... This move. I got upset when it was announced the ACC would do it. I'm upset that the Big Ten's doing this. If you call it a conference tournament, that's a lie. It's a conference invitational. You have to be invited to attend. And I get it. It's based on your season performance. But this isn't a conference tournament. It's an invitational event. Let's uh, stop I, calling it what it what you say it is. I knew this would get you riled up. I just I don't understand why these conferences keep doing it. The ACC is doing it. Uh, the Big East did it way back in the day at one point where they didn't invite all the teams. Coaches were upset, rightfully so. And then they changed it back. Remember, the Big East had a million teams back over a decade ago before you know, they had all the conference realignment. Florida State coach Leonard Hamilton on the ACC, limiting teams playing in the tournament, had this to say the other day. If we can put somebody on the moon, I believe we can run a tournament with the entire <laughs> league. Well, we can't... We can put someone on the moon, but that's been a long time. We can't even put a probe on the on the on the moon. Japan just did, but ours blew up or uh, at least went off course after it launched. If you follow space stuff, so we yes, we can put a man on the moon, but it's been a minute since this country put a man on the moon or a woman on the moon for that matter. Um, you knew this was the direction that the Big Ten was going to go because they're too big, and as you mentioned, one of the reasons why they don't want to have six days, they want to keep it Wednesday to Sunday. So that's a problem of expansion. Is the way the Big Ten, they want to chase the money, and now they can't have a conference tournament with all of the teams. So three teams will be left out. Which I'm like, the 15 is confusing. Uh, Yeah, that's the part that's even more silly. Like, you you couldn't find a way to make it work, to have 16 teams make it. You're planning to do 15. I I just, I, I don't understand. This is the kind of nonsense you get when you're chasing the money, but don't think about the consequences for literally every other sport. You're just like, oh, well, football, we'll be fine. Well, good luck with all those lesser sports that schools are probably going to drop because of the costs because they can't afford to fly to the West Coast back and forth for these games. You know, this is a coast-to-coast conference. You should be able to figure out, if you can figure out scheduling, then you can figure out a conference tournament that actually invites the whole conference. This is an absolute joke. Once again, though, the Big Ten is a, pro- is a product of its own expansion in the sense that we've talked about what hurts the Big Ten teams when it comes tournament time. And I do look at the Big Ten tournament as not being the best thing for Big Ten teams. At the very minimum, you're playing Friday, Saturday, Sunday if you're a top seed, one of the top seeds. Other teams are playing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. There's an outside chance you can play Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But let's say you play three to four straight games and then go right into the tournament. 
And let's say you play Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then you play Thursday afternoon. And then you play Saturday afternoon. That's a lot of games in a short amount of time. And I think when we talk about the Big Ten's lack of success, partially, I feel you have to look at the, the, the Big Ten tournament and just how many games these teams are playing in well, the lead up be, to the tournament. It's going to be true for the Big Ten and the SEC and the Big 12. I mean, all these conferences getting bigger, right? The ACC with the, all these extra teams. And I get it if you're a, a top protected seed where you could get a double bye, you know, you, you obviously benefit. But for teams beyond, I mean, at some point you're going to stop seeing these magical runs through a conference tournament to make the NCAA tournament like we saw with Georgetown several years ago, right? Where they, they won the Big East and it was a shock. Penn State reaching the Big Ten title game last year. I mean, that was a magical run. Um, and they were ninth in the Big Ten. Yes, they made the tournament, but like those are the kind of teams that eventually this is really hurting the most. And don't you want to make it so your your league can get the most bids as possible, right? Um, I'm going to push back. Kids. I don't think the Big Ten can... I, I, I look at it and say, well, the Big Ten probably doesn't want a 16 seed winning its conference tournament and getting into the tournament because it could potentially take away the spot of a Big Ten team that actually has a chance to do something in the NCAA tournament. That's you get more money by having more teams in but there. But it was just replaced. Let's say let's say Rutgers went out there and won the Big Ten tournament and it cost uh who's a bubble team? Uh Ohio, Ohio State. State. Let's say it cost Ohio State their spot. It's still the same amount of teams in the Big Ten, and you can say, well, Rutgers isn't going to do as much as Ohio State potentially could. I get it. I don't have any problem three teams not making the Big Ten tournament because they're probably stinky anyway. But I do have a problem with the expansion of the Big Ten and not thinking it has any impact on your lack of success in the big dance. I do think the absurdity of the setup of the conference tournament, and it's all a money grab. Yes. Is hurts the Big Ten when it comes to the NCAA tournament. Uh, Someone's saying, who cares? We don't need a participation tournament. When during the season to get into the tournament, the season might actually matter. But it's a participation tournament now. That's the thing. Like, a conference tournament should include all of your conference members. Well, I when get you get too not, big. It, it, well, that, that's a product. The, yes, that's, that's the but product of chasing the money, right? That's the issue. That's the issue I have. You can't call it a conference tournament if suddenly you're not going to invite all the teams. And I get people who say, well, in D3 or NAIA, they only invite a select number. But that's how they've done that for years. You've done this for years where every team is invited, and suddenly they're not because you expanded to too many teams. Someone else saying uh, at 46862, how long before the Big Ten tournament is played in L.A. or Seattle with games lasting till 2 a.m. Eastern? So it won't last until 2 a.m. Eastern, but it won't shock me if the Big Ten goes to L.A. or Vegas for a conference tournament. I think it's ine- inevitable yeah. that it does that. They'll play it. Uh, what is, it's not Staples anymore, but what is it? Crypto.com Arena uh, in LA. They'll probably have it there in the coming years. Yeah, it potentially could. I, I think when you look at the Big Ten overall, chasing the money, which is obviously what it's doing, and it hurts when other sports, obviously, other than football, and then it hurts around this time of year. I, I sincerely believe when you're just playing all these games in such a short amount of time for the conference tournament. And really, what does it accomplish? 
Like in the end, if we just have, if we have, if we have a, a big conversation about conference tournaments in general, what do they accomplish? Nothing other than just bankroll. Yeah. Well, in what? I don't even know if that's if it's as effective as you think because this year it's in Minneapolis at the Target Center. Good luck getting crowds there. Right. Minnesota's not any good, so that's going to be a massive flop. It's still more money than they would have if they didn't have a, a tournament at all. But how 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 what a novel concept that the regular season actually meant something like back in the day. And when you won the regular season championship, then that was it. Then you had a break of up to a week before you started the NCAA tournament. And now you're, you're playing this conference tournament that in the end, let's, let's look at Purdue. Take Purdue, for example. How is Purdue helped by playing in the, in the Big Ten tournament? They're in already. What's the matter? Well, and that could have been said for last season, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, the, the, I think the whole basis of my argument, and you're looking at why doesn't it, why doesn't everybody make the 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 conference tournaments? My big thing is, what the hell do we have the conference tournaments anyway, other than money, which obviously drives everything. I get it. Someone texted in that same thought. What if Purdue just sits out of the Big Ten tournament? Yeah, I'm just like rest for March Madness. I mean, you, you you play your first game, you rest your starters. And maybe that's the message that needs to be sent to the Big Ten. If these top teams are saying, "Oh, our, we're we feel confident, we're locked in, it, we're at our seed line, we have nothing to play for," it's going to hurt us by playing all these games in a short time frame, risk of injury, right? What if we have teams and players just start opting out of conference tournaments? I'm serious. Yeah, we have it for college football bowl games, so why wouldn't that happen for uh, conference tournaments where there's nothing to play for for some of these teams? A lot of teams have. A lot to play for, but some of them. If you're if you're the number one seed and you're expected to be a number one seed, I mean, the, the problem is there are other teams, other conferences that are going to play through and say we win our conference tournament, we could be a, a number one seed. Right. So that that's what in theory is preventing that from happening. And and it goes down to the mid major, low le- low major level. Okay, you play two plus two months of conference games, effectively twenty games to decide your regular season champion. And it means absolutely nothing because the bid for your league is going to come down to a three day, four day tournament. So you play two months of conference games and then you have no chance to make the NCAA tournament unless you win your conference tournament. And that's where you look at with Purdue Fort Wayne. Purdue Fort Wayne has won the regular season championship before in its league and then lost in the conference tournament and didn't make the NCAA tournament. Like, how is it fair? It's all a money grab. I get it. It's not going away. But if you're the MAC, like the AA MAC, the MAC, the MEAC, the MAC, the Southland, the SWAC, the Summit, the Horizon, um, you know, the Northeast, the, the like, what's it? Why are you having a conference tournament to decide your seed or your your bid for the NCAA tournament when you probably have a better team? More often than not, that doesn't make it. Well, considering the Ivy League has actually added a conference tournament in New York City. Unfortunately. For this year. Uh, they've even caved. Yeah, they've caved. So it is what it is. I've just overall, I have big problems with the conference tournament format. For We both do for different reasons. But I think the absurdity of just conference tournaments altogether are dumb. You, you put two months in 
upwards of 20 games in your league, and that doesn't decide your, to get into the tournament, but rather a three-day tournament or a four-day or a five-day like the Big Ten. Just go with the best teams in your league over 20 games. All right, that's all, that's it. That's all I got Wow. Today. I mean, it'd make more sense to play 18 games and play your rival twice, right? That'd be well, an that's easier another schedule. Thing with the, <laughs> that's another part of this that's well, silly. Well, the Big Ten, too, is you're going to go away. Now, all of a sudden, is... I mean, you play 17 games, and IU and Purdue play each other twice. Uh, USC and UCLA play each other twice. Washington and Oregon twice, right? This is just common sense. You could say, well, what about teams that don't have a, a true rival? Like, Ohio State... Is, is not going to play Michigan twice because Michigan and Michigan State are going to play twice. So what about that? Well, you have Ohio State, Rutgers, and Penn State. You have Ohio State and Penn State, I guess, play twice, and then Rutgers and Maryland play twice, and you just you, you call it a done deal. How much are you looking forward to the new Big Ten in basketball? I'm not. It's gonna. I feel like it's going to be an absolute cluster, and it's crap like this that like turns me off because the, the conference is not in a position of strength in terms of play on the court. Yes, they are financially. We know that. Right. And they're the Big Ten in football is coming off a national championship, at least for now. Um, we'll see what happens with that in the next two, three, four, five years. But so they're in a position of strength there, but on the basketball side, they've been in, in a position of weakness for quite some time. I, I mean, when's the last time people even took the Big Ten seriously in basketball? Well, when it comes to March. Right. Well, and that's that's why going back to... I mean, you, you go back like four or five years. I mean, Michigan State making the Final Four when they beat that Duke team with Zion Williamson in 2019. That That's probably like the last time. Right. And now you have another season where you're looking at a Big Ten team as potentially that team. But we've seen this before, not just with Purdue, but the Big Ten in general, about it not working out. So... We'll see if Purdue can live up to the expectations. And and you think the eyes of the entirety of the Big Ten will be on Purdue because, like, well, this is our latest best chance of shaking this drought of a, of a national champion or lack thereof. So Purdue's got a lot on its shoulders coming up. And that's, I'm wondering when Purdue fans are going to start going, you know what, here we go. We're actually looking like a team that can pull this off, are we going to screw it up? Poll question today is pretty simple, and I'm putting it up right now. Does the Big Ten tournament suck? <laughs> well, Is that your question? No. Oh, that's, okay. that, that's a given. Uh, should the Big Ten basketball conference tournament include all 18 teams next season? Yes or no? Let us know. Caleb Kinney 1380 on Twitter slash X. That is our poll question of the day. You can also text us 46862. Again, 46862. I knew I'd be upset about this, and I've been, I've been letting this fester because this came down like Friday afternoon. And I'm like, I'm going to save this save this for later so I can really, really build up my rage. Um, this it, is just the kind of stupidity that, that drives me nuts. And come to think of it, the Big Ten, they don't have any conference tournament sites set beyond this mm. year. Is so, it Indy? Is it Chicago? Is it L.A.? LA? Do they try to go back to the East Coast? Because that flopped. Remember when they had it right. at Madison Square yeah, they Garden? They the Garden and they were... They had to play before the Big East Tournament. <laughs> There's nobody there. Yeah. Complete flop. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, uh, would you rather see, let's say if tomorrow the Big Ten came out and said we're scrapping the Big Ten tournament, which will never happen, by the, by the way, and we're expanding to 22 conference games. So effectively, we'll play two more games that week. I think it'd be phenomenal. That'd be more fair than this 18, or, or excuse me, 20-game schedule that, what are, what are you supposed to do with those? You're only playing three teams repeat. Yeah, and one is your rival, so to speak. Yeah. Like, what do you do with those other games? And, and it'll be very unbalanced scheduling. Oh, f- big time. I mean, they could have made this so much easier by actually reducing the conference games to 18 instead of 20. But and just have one... One double play. One, which, yeah, which, which is you can figure rival. that. Yeah, yeah, you can figure that out pretty easily. That will not be hard. Yes, there will be some that aren't natural rivals, but look, I don't think of Iowa and Nebraska as natural rivals, but they become that in football, essentially. So... They can figure this out for basketball. Just looking forward to that uh, Oregon-Penn State Big Ten game coming up next yeah. week, next year. Yeah, going to be a barn burner. Yeah, can't wait. But remember, Leonard Hamilton, FSU coach, said if the ACC, uh, or if we can land on the moon, we can figure out all the teams playing in the ACC conference tournament. I feel the same about the Big Ten. Well, we did land on the moon, but it's been a long time. Long time. Can't figure it out right now, so I have no hope for figuring this out. Someone said just go back and forth between Indy and Vegas for the Big Ten tourney. Both sites would always be sold out. Great for hosting. Uh, that, to me, seems like a logical move, but I'm not counting on logic in this situation. I would almost do a three-year rotation with Indy, Chicago, and Vegas. Yes. That would be my thing. That is a great answer. Coming up on the other side, IU gets another five-star visiting this weekend. Oh, God. Here we go. Nothing to do with basketball, though. We'll explain that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on a Tuesday. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny. Don't forget, you can text Milwaukee to 46862. Again, Milwaukee to 46862 and be in the running for a four-pack of sweet tickets. See Purdue, Fort Wayne, and Milwaukee coming up Thursday night at the Coliseum. Tip at 7 o'clock in that one. You can just text Milwaukee to 46862. Winner selected at the end of the show this morning. All right. Indiana hosting another five-star recruit coming up this weekend. Coming up on Sunday. Has nothing to do with basketball. Mm. Class of 2025 quarterback Julian Lewis. Yes, a quarterback who's a five-star is visiting IU on Sunday. He'll visit Alabama on Friday, Georgia on Saturday, then IU. He's been a USC commit since August, but he reclassified from the class of 26 to the class of 25. Now, he's from Carrollton, Georgia, so you're thinking, why in the world is IU connected to a five-star quarterback? Well, he's known IU quarterbacks coach Tino Sinceri since he was eight years old. Said, Tino's my guy. He's the first first guy to, to even recruit me. So, so uh, they go way back. Not saying this is going to go anywhere, because I right. don't think that's the point of this, but it just shows you how important relationships are in recruiting. So you, you think this is just a... Uh, a being as a cordial visit, I'll just go visit him just because he asked. You don't think there's any chance that Julian Lewis flips to IU? I think, I I wouldn't go that far. I'd say that IU was able to convince him to at least come visit. And I think that's meaningful. Yeah. I'd be stunned if he ends up going to IU. Again, remember, he's committed to USC, but he's still talking to other programs because he's reclassified. He yeah. reopened his commitment after reclassifying. 
and he's the number one quarterback according to ESPN and Rivals, number one overall on ESPN. Uh, he's top ten basically every recruiting service. I think that twenty four seven Sports composite has him like eighth or tenth. So this is the power of connections in recruiting right here at play. So can this relationship? I mean, it just shows that Gino Sinceri has some ends. Could it could it work out with maybe a more attainable recruit down the line? Absolutely. That's the hope. That's the hope. And remember, I mean, IU already has a f- pretty full quarterback room for the first time I can think of in quite some time. I mean, as far as an incoming player, Tyler Cherry from Center Grove, just south of Indy. Uh, they have uh, Rourke, who is transferring in from, what is it? Is it uh, Akron? Right? Or no, Ohio. Yep. Ohio. And he'll probably be the starter. You have Taven Jackson as well. Um, there are a lot of pieces in that quarterback room. Plus, I think there's another quarterback I'm I'm forgetting that they have. So this is a good sign and something I think IU can build on. I'm not saying this is oh, IU's gonna get this guy, because I, I highly doubt it. You're talking with Alabama and Georgia. And committed to USC. Yeah, that you're not on that tier. But relationships are important and and we see this in basketball probably a lot more than football as far as players going to a school where you don't expect because of relationships or like some tie-in whether from a family member or a coach or just a a coach who did a great job like Rutgers has a, a top five recruiting class coming in next year for basketball yeah so these things are possible but this is just something to keep in mind and look it's great there's no games to talk about, and Kurt Signetti can win the offseason. With, with <laughs> and he's like done this. his best in terms yeah. of winning the offseason. Uh, hasn't won a single game in Indiana, but he's getting, or at least his staff, getting five-star uh, players on campus is a victory in itself. And amazing how much different the tone is from basketball to football. On the, the, For football, it's cause for su- excitement. For basketball, it's like, okay, so what? <laughs> like, uh, I think right now it would be a bigger deal for a five-star football player to be on campus. For, for basketball, it's just another five-star that people are going to think is the savior for the basketball program <laughs> that isn't. Where football, it does not feel that way yeah. whatsoever. And now it's Leah McNeely, you're up. Yeah. You're, you're the next five-star yeah, that's going to fix everything. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Coming up on the other side, we all know Patrick Mahomes is the top quarterback in the NFL. But who's number two? This is clearly up for debate. We'll debate that next as we kick off hour number two. Caleb and Kenny in the morning. 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning. 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Happy Tuesday. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862. You'll want that handy for two reasons. One, you can text Milwaukee to 46862 and be in the running for a four-pack of sweet tickets. See Purdue, Fort Wayne, and Milwaukee Thursday night at the Coliseum. 7 o'clock tip-off. In that one, we'll pick a winner at the end of the show. And number two, about to debate who's the number two quarterback in the NFL. Patrick Mahomes, a clear number one. Send us who your thought is on number two. We'll get to that in a second. Also, an NFL referee had a tough day on Sunday. And no, it had nothing to do with the calls he was making. It was how he was delivering those calls in the Chiefs-Ravens game. If you missed it, we'll play some audio. And Dylan Sin of the Journal Gazette will join us. IU in action tonight against Iowa. Can IU figure something out? Is small ball the way to go for Mike Woodson? Purdue, can they keep rolling? Braden Smith, though, left off an award list. In the Big Ten, only 15 teams in the Big Ten tournament 
We'll get his thoughts on that and more in college basketball at 8.35. And when we wrap up the show, an explorer claims to have found Amelia Earhart's plane. We'll give you details on that. I, I guess I have my doubts only because everyone says this every so many years and there's really nothing to it. Now, yes. So they're going to further investigate what they found, which we'll go over. But uh, we've heard this before, right? right? Whether it's bones, whether it's... Uh, they've never found... This is the big thing. There was like they, a piece they thought was of the plane. Which was, yeah, which was not... So that's the biggest thing is they've never been able to find the plane. And supposedly now they may have. We'll I, I I have my doubts. I, I hope it's true. I just have my that's doubts. That's one of those life's great mysteries that... Uh, yes. You think, well, how hard it can, can it be to find a plane? Well, remember several years ago in that that uh, Malaysian Airlines. Yeah, they, they never found a higher airliner they can't find. So yeah. it's not that easy. Not that easy. No. Man, that that's... <laughs> now I'm like thinking now, about that. And that's been like 10 years, yeah, right? Yeah, I don't know if it was a 747 or what. It was a huge plane. They yeah, couldn't even find like it. So, commercial airliner and they haven't found it. So yeah, of course they can't find Amelia Hart's plane. Oh, we'll talk about that at the end of the hour. Yeah, I'm already distracted now. I know. about all this. All right, so best quarterback in the NFL is Patrick Mahomes. No one's going to disagree with that. And if you do, I I think you're you're crazy. But there is a legitimate argument to be had over who is number two. You look at all the different candidates out there, and is it Josh Allen? Is it Joe Burrow? Jalen Hurts? Justin Herbert? Dak Prescott, Brock Purdy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, Not throwing them on, on the list there. But you, you look at this, and, and there is a legitimate argument to be made for probably two or three different guys. Again, Mahomes is, is clear number one. You could argue Josh Allen, even though he's never won an MVP, right? You could argue Joe Burrow. He's gone to a Super Bowl. You could argue Lamar Jackson, who's won an MVP and probably soon to be a two-time MVP, but he's also never gone to a Super Bowl. But he has gone to an AFC Championship game, which Josh Allen uh, has he's he's done that, but he's he's failed to get to a Super Bowl, right? So there there's a lot of argument. To me, it's Lamar Jackson based on what he's done statistically. But at the same time, would you take Lamar Jackson in the playoff game? And the answer is probably no. Not two and four in the playoffs and further exposed as being unable to really make the throws necessary. He had an entire half to make plays. Now, he was let down by teammates for sure. But Lamar Jackson holds a fair amount of the blame of what happened last Sunday. Here's the thing. Patrick Mahomes is in his own stratosphere. Yes. Okay. When you talk about one and two, one is so far above everybody else because everybody else has certain limitations. And Patrick Mahomes isn't perfect. He threw career-high 14 interceptions this year. He's had three consecutive seasons of double-digit interceptions. He's thrown 39 picks in the last three years. So we're not saying Patrick Mahomes is perfect. But when it comes to winning football games, when it counts, there is nobody better than Patrick Mahomes. He knows when to be aggressive. He knows when to manage the game, which I know is like the kiss of death when you talk about game managers, but that's what he did on, on, on Sunday. That game could have flipped on a single play, a single bad throw, a single bad read, a single 
special teams play with a long return, a fumble, and that never happened. Now that's a credit for the to the entire Kansas City team, but in particular Patrick Mahomes. But you look at everybody else, the top contenders have flaws. Lamar Jackson, not as refined a passer as he needs to be. Josh Allen, prone to turnovers at key moments and making bad throws. After that, I mean, are you are you throwing in Jalen Hurts there? Hasn't done enough, in my opinion. Is the next challenger as the top quarterback in the league behind of, Mahomes? Right. right. Is it is it one of these aforementioned guys? Is or it is it CJ Stroud? Is it CJ Stroud? Is it Jordan Love in a couple years? Colts fans would hope it's Anthony Richardson. Is it Caleb Williams? Who knows? But I think what we've seen with the current crop of veteran quarterbacks is that nobody, nobody is even close to Patrick Mahomes. Think about it. Six years, he's been the number one quarterback in Kansas City. He's been the starter six years. Kansas City has reached at least the AFC championship game in every single one of those years. Astounding. There is no debate on who the top quarterback in the NFL is. There's plenty of debate on who's underneath him. I mean, you look at Joe Burrow and, or excuse me, Josh Allen. We start with him. I think that's who a lot of people want to say is the, the second best quarterback. But this is a guy, when you you look at his his accolades in his career, he was a second team All-Pro in 2020 and a two-time Pro Bowler. So he's never made a first team All-Pro. Put that in perspective. Now a second team All-Pro, I mean, to be a Hall of Famer for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you got to make multiple first or second team all pros. He has just one second team all pro and he's never won, you know, an MVP. Yes. He has the record for most rushing touchdowns in a season by a quarterback. Um, playoffs in regular, in fact, regular season yet. He, he had 15 like that's, that's great. But like, that's not a stat that really means anything to me when it comes to quarterback play. Right. I mean, he, he does that because they have a bad rushing offense. They did get better at the end of the year, and I think that's why they had success. Um, Joe Burrow won a comeback player of the year award. He is a Pro Bowl completion percentage leader, and that's it. He has a, a million accolades, right, in college, but his NFL slate is limited, and part of that's been due to injuries, right? He suffered an injury about halfway through his rookie season, was injured for the bulk of this season, so that's really limited his playing time in the NFL. And he's had success, right? I mean, he got to a Super Bowl. Um, he's had some some good seasons. Again, led the league in completion percentage in 2021. Yards per attempt in 2021. Yeah, you you it's, it's, you can poke holes in every single person outside of Patrick Mahomes. I mean, going back to Josh Allen, the guy has thrown in six years 78 interceptions. He has, in six years, fumbled the ball 33 times. Okay? That's a lot of turnovers by Josh Allen. Okay? So when we're going to judge, when we judge the quarterbacks in the NFL, what is it? Is it is it Patrick Holmes is that good that he makes everyone else look bad? Or are we looking at a top end of the quarterback spectrum and saying it's not as good as people like to think it is. Because you bring up Josh Allen, easy to poke holes in it. Lamar Jackson, easy to poke holes in it. Joe Burrow, same. But is Burrow, the, the holes you poke in it, isn't it just more due to injuries and we don't feel like we have enough of a sample size? Well, that's the thing, but that's that's the knock on, on Joe Burrow. Can't stay healthy. Yeah. 
Okay, so that's everybody the has same something knock on different. Justin Herbert, and that's the thing with with Lamar Jackson can't throw in terms of when it counts. Okay, his 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 ability to improvise and run is his top attribute. Okay, then you look at Josh Allen can make all the throws, can run, but he also turns the ball over way too much. And I don't know if the argument is Patrick Mahomes ex- is exposing the rest of these guys, or is this crop of quote-unquote elite quarterbacks not as elite as we like to think it is? I mean, back in the day, you had Brady and Manning as yeah. the bona fide dudes. And then you throw in Rodgers you know, at one point after that. Yeah, where Brady and Manning were, you know, Manning was at the tail end of his career at that point, and and Brady still played another decade when Rodgers was in his prime, going back over a decade ago. Um, now, I mean, to to me, statistically, when you look at it based on the resume and the highlights, Lamar, who's about to be a two-time NFL MVP, two-time first-team All-Pro, three-time Pro Bowler, passing touchdowns leader, yes. Led the league in passing touchdowns in 2019. Um, obviously, all his college accolades, which aren't factored into this argument. Same with Joe Burrow for that. To me, on paper, he is the best. But who's the guy you're taking to win you a game? And to me, that would be Joe Burrow. When it, like when it matters most, you got to win a playoff game. I'd take Joe Burrow. Well, he's the only guy that's been able to beat Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. So I think when you look at it, like, like, let's look back ten years ago at the top quarterbacks in 2014. I mean, you look at um, Rodgers, look at Brady, you look at Peyton Manning, and all three of those guys at that time were at the level of top elite quarterbacks. Um, You could say maybe Andrew Luck, Ben Roethlisberger in 2014 as well, maybe that tier below. But you had three bona fide, legit Hall of Famers playing at the same time. Do we have that right now? Like legit generational talent quarterbacks. Or are we just harder on our quarterbacks now than we were 10 years ago? It's probably a little bit of both. I mean, Mahomes is obviously that generational talent, but all these other guys, it's like, yeah, they're really good, but are they... Like, are they beyond a Philip Rivers, Matt Ryan good? Maybe slightly, but yeah. with how quarterback stats have changed over the last 20 years, at some point there has to be a cut line, right? And, and yeah. Rivers and Matt Ryan aren't above that cut line. You know, Dak Prescott certainly isn't above it. Kirk Cousins certainly yeah. isn't above it. What about these other guys? Now, granted, it's so early on in their careers, right? I mean, Burroughs dealing with injuries. Herbert's dealing with injuries. Lamar doesn't have these inflated passing stats, but he's winning all these awards. He's a two-time first-team All-Pro. That matters, but he hasn't won a Super Bowl, which also matters. Yes. None of these other guys won a Super Bowl. Right. And I think that's maybe the biggest thing when we look at trying to find who's the, who's the number two in the NFL is, is there one? Is there a clear cut? I don't think there is. I think it changes week to week. It changes our opinions when you get into the playoffs. People wanted to crown Dak Prescott. We saw what happened with that. People wanted to crown Josh Allen. He can't even win at home in the playoffs uh, this past uh, couple weeks ago. Then you talk about, okay, Lance Lamar Jackson, he's going to be the MVP. He can't get it done last weekend. So the debate for number one is zero, of course. 
the debate for number two. I I don't know if there's anybody good enough that you can say is legit number two best quarterback in the NFL. It's not definitive. No, not definitive. Four six eight six two. Let us know on the text line. Someone said Josh Allen, second best quarterback. Who is your choice for the second best quarterback in the NFL right now? Is it Joe Burrow? Is it Josh Allen? Is it Lamar Jackson? Do you do you say one of the new new, new guys like a C.J. Stroud? I mean, this is all up for debate. You think Jordan Love is that guy? Let us know the text line four six eight six two. Someone said when healthy Aaron Rodgers number two. Maybe no six seven years. Yeah, ago. I, I don't think in, anymore. Someone else said Aaron Rodgers. Another said Matthew Stafford. Ah, uh, I'm not taking either of those guys over the the guys I just mentioned though. At this point, a couple years ago, yes, yeah, two three years ago, I would. Rodgers coming off a major injury and in his age, he he's he is the best active quarterback in terms of fast track to the Hall of Fame. But Mahomes is obviously right behind him on that. I think when you look at if you had the choice of one quarterback to win you a football game, it goes Patrick Mahomes and then who? That's the biggest question. And I don't know who that is. Uh, To me, if it's winning one game, I say it's Joe Burrow. One game in the playoffs, it's a must win. Obviously, go Baba, all the Super Bowl. Like, who are you picking? Because I'm not picking Josh Allen. No. I'm not picking Lamar Jackson. I'm not picking Jalen Hurts. I think you're looking at Joe Burrow as that guy, and even then I'm going to that game going, oh, God, I hope this works out. Yeah, you hope he stays healthy. I mean, <laughs> I someone just... texted in Joe Burrow, but can't stay on the field. That's the thing. Another vote for Aaron Rodgers being second best. In what world is Aaron Rodgers the second best quarterback in the NFL? I think it's the world where people think Aaron Rodgers is still 30 years old. He's going to come back next year, and I'll be shocked if he is anywhere close to what he was a couple years ago. I mean, you know who's better than Aaron Rodgers? Jordan Love. Yeah. I mean, look at what Green Bay did last year as compared to this year when Aaron Rodgers was your quarterback compared to Jordan Love, your quarterback. That was a better football team for Green Bay this year. And you're going with Aaron Rodgers to win you a football game when he's not even as good as the guy that just replaced him in Green Bay? No, I'm not. No, I'm I'm not either. I, I mean, think, I think that to me feels like a, a, a given. Thing. Someone said C.J. Stroud sure looked good this year as a rookie. Well, that's the other thing. Do you go with a guy who looked really, really good, but we don't have anywhere close to a sample size? And that's my thing: is 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 the next person to really legitimately be the second best quarterback in the NFL? one of these new crop of guys. Is it Jordan Love? If he continues the ascent. If it is it CJ Stroud? Is it Anthony Richardson? Is it Caleb Williams getting drafted number one this year? We just don't know. But I think we know enough about the quarterbacks that are on that ne- next tier below Patrick Mahomes to say, I don't trust Lamar Jackson to win me a game. I don't trust Josh Allen to win me a game because recent games have shown that they can't. Yeah. And you can't trust Joe Burrow to stay healthy to win you that game. If you can guarantee me that that uh, Joe Burrow stays healthy, then he's probably my pick. Same. Uh, someone else, what about Mr. Relevant? Brock Purdy? Oh, don't get Caleb uh, going on Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy is a good quarterback, but I'm not taking him over any of these guys. Someone else said Jared Goff, uh, Matthew Stafford have to be in the discussion. I think they're on the list, but I just I I don't think 
they're at the top of that list. I think they're at the bottom of that list. Yeah, it's just uh, it's tough, and it's a lot of lot of dudes that are either at their apex of their game or are on the decline. We talk about Aaron Rodgers. I, I will say Matt Stafford isn't the quarterback he used to be. He's still very good, but I think his best days are behind him. Uh, Jared Goff, he had an, he had opportunities to make plays on Sunday and didn't. I'm talking about when you need to win a football game. Who is it? When I talked about four or ten years ago, the top quarterbacks. You said Aaron Rodgers in his prime. I want him behind center to win a football game. Obviously Tom Brady. Obviously Peyton Manning. Those are multiple dudes. Those are three dudes off the top of your head from 2014 that you said, I want those guys as your quarterback now, to win a game. Manning was a shell in 2014. Yeah, but he was still one of the top quarterbacks. Yes. In my opinion. No, he he was great that season. It was, I think, the, was it the following season that he just completely fell off? Yeah, I think 2014 he was still... He was still up there, but he threw 15 picks that year, to put it in perspective. But he also threw, like, what, 50-some touchdowns that year? Uh, 39. Okay, the year, the year prior, before yeah. he threw? Yeah. year so prior, he, he was... He still almost had 40 touchdown passes in yeah. 2014. Those are three guys I'm taking. Right now, there is one player, one quarterback, that I'm saying I'm trusting to win a game, and that's Patrick Mahomes. Is that a product of Mahomes' greatness or the fact that the quarterbacks in the NFL aren't as great as some people like to think they are. Another text, and then we'll move on uh, at 46862. All this quarterback talk reminds me how drastic the decline has been for Trevor Lawrence, not even in the stratosphere of discussion. That's true, because going into the season, mm-hmm. we thought he was, I, I thought he was borderline top five. I was ready to put him on that short list. He was, very close. Yeah, he was that guy that we thought, okay, this is the year that he's really going to jump forward, and did not. And it's not like Justin Herbert where you feel like, okay, if he just had a coach, right? This was a guy who you thought is going to pass Herbert from that just outside the top five range and solidly lock himself in. And, and now he's he was nowhere this season. No, Obviously, I mean, the, the Jags fading at the end is the main reason. I surely didn't help. Coming up on the other side, an NFL referee had uh, an issue on Sunday. If you missed it, we'll play some audio for you next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Some Huey Lewis and the news here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. All right, if you watched Sunday's Chiefs-Ravens game, hopefully you, you caught this. There are two instances, and we'll play a clip of one of them. The NFL referee, Sean Smith, had a tough day relaying calls to the press box. And here's what one of them sounded like. The play, Tony, office number four. It'll be first and ten. Yeah, I just saw it there at the end. Uh, someone give this guy a lozenge or something. I mean, he's struggling to get that through. Was, that was the second call that he struggled to get through. That one, at least, his mic cut out for part of it, which was probably to his own benefit. Um, now this was late in the third. I mean, he'd probably yeah. been been yelling and all that stuff. And, you know, big moments in the AFC Championship game. But uh, yeah, get that guy a lozenge of some sort. He's been a referee since 2018. He was an umpire, I think, back in 2015. So, uh, and he's also, which I, I I didn't know there was all this research, but he is the ref most favorable in the NFL to road teams. Uh huh. So there's a lot of talk going into the game. Oh, the Chiefs are going to benefit because this referee had like something like a 40.8 winning percentage for road teams and games mm. he refereed, which who is tracking this Obviously stuff? rigged. That's <laughs> yeah. my thing. It's like, Jesus, <laughs> people have too much time on their hands to track this stuff. 
But uh, have you ever had an embarrassing voice crack or oh, slip yes. up on air? Yeah. Oh yeah, we all, all the time. Yeah, you're, you're whether it's a voice cracks. crack or you just you you said something that maybe not like bad, but just like you, you shuffled your words around. Well, just uh, every morning on this show, <laughs> that, it's fair. a challenge to get through two hours without saying stuff ridiculous. <laughs> and you're not talking about your takes either. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's a whole different story for sure. But uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, Big moments. Sometimes your your voice just isn't there, and it wasn't there for uh, for him. The AFC title game. Remember, taunting. <laughs> <laughs> this is trying to get through it. Oh man, poor guy. Brutal. All right, joining us on the other side, Dylan Sin of the Journal Gazette. We'll talk all things college basketball. Braden Smith shortchanged. I use last gasp in the Big Ten conference tournament future we'll talk about all those things and more with dylan sin next caleb and kenny in the morning 1380 the fan and 100.9 fm caleb and kenny in the morning here on 1380 the fan and 100.9 fm caleb hatch justin kenny with you 46862 your text line number and you can text milwaukee to 46862 again milwaukee is the code word and you could win a four pack of sweet tickets see purdue fort wayne at the coliseum Thursday night when they host Milwaukee tip at seven o'clock and that one will pick a winner at the end of the show. So still have some time to get your entries in again, Milwaukee to four, six, eight, six, two joining us on the guest line, Dylan sin of the journal Gazette, Dylan. Good morning. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. So let's talk uh, a lot of college basketball, maybe a little uh, college football as well. But we start with Purdue, and it's been a great season, but yet Braden Smith can't get on the Bob Cousy Award uh, finalists. What, what's going on there? Yeah, I, I, I mean, that's, that's kind of what I said yesterday. Was it, He's suffering from, I think, Purdue awards fatigue, which is like everyone knows that he's going to win every award imaginable at the end of the regular season again. Um, and so it, it's kind of like, well... Zach Eady is the guy. Everyone else is just kind of tagging along. I think if you've watched Purdue this season, you know that that's not true. Braden Smith is averaging 12 points and 7 assists, and he's been great. Um, but it, it, it's still this, this um, kind of – basically a lot of people still think this, this is Zach Eady and everyone else on this team. And so Purdue is suffering from that. Dylan, we, we talked about this in the, in the first hour about the success of Purdue and when – at least with, with Purdue fans, outwardly, outward from the program, start getting into that time where you start getting a little nervous now as we get closer to the NCAA tournament, obviously what happened last year, but also the expectations. Purdue has lived up to these high expectations. It's them, it's UConn, it's Houston at the top of college basketball right now. Uh, what is it going to take, I guess, for, for Purdue to make sure not only they don't have a first-round exit, but achieve their goals, which you have to feel at the minimum is making a Final Four? Yeah, I, I mean, that's, and that, that is the goal, right? And it, it's not wrong to say that. I, I think a lot of Purdue fans this season have been kind of cautious about, well, we think we have one of the best teams in the country, but we don't really want to talk about it because that because of what happened last year when we thought the same thing. I do think this team is better in significant ways than last year's team was. I think Lance Jones adds a dimension to this team that he didn't have last year. I think we just talked about Braden Smith is a significantly better and more impactful player than he was last year. And so I think... For Purdue, what you need to do is stay the course. You need to keep avoiding turnovers. You need to keep rebounding the ball well. You need to keep shooting the ball well. I think that's the big thing is that the last two years, Purdue in late January, early February, and then into March, 
has kind of gone into a shooting slump a little bit and has not shot the, shot the ball as well as it did earlier in the year. And so you have to avoid that. You have to make sure they fresh as the season goes on. And, and Matt Painter has done that by making sure his players don't play as many minutes and spreading the minutes around. He's able to do that because he has so much depth. So I think that, that helps this team as well. Dylan Sin of the Journal-Gazette joining us on the guest line. Meanwhile, for Indiana... It feels like they're running out of chances after losing to Purdue at Wisconsin at Illinois. Schedule gets a bit of a break this week, uh, starting tonight against Iowa. But on the positive side, the small ball lineup, no Khalil Ware, you have multiple guards. Is that the way to go as far as the small ball lineup that had success against Illinois? Is that a way for Indiana to, to make something happen down the stretch this season? Well, it's certainly the way to go is with Khalil Ware out. We don't know how long he's going to be out. Uh, they keep saying that he's getting closer. Uh, he didn't have the boot on against Illinois. I think there are some definite positives to that lineup. Uh, but I think that the thing is that it, it's going to be uh, a difficult lineup to rebound with. I think Khalil Ware is a great rebounder. He's a very good shot blocker. And so I think when you have him in there, I, I think you can do a lot of the same thing. The question is then can you play a little bit more with Malik Renew at the five and give Khalil Ware some rest when he comes back. I think that would be huge, uh, as if you can kind of play with your substitutions a little bit and have Malik Renew play a little bit of a hybrid role. And I think that that's going to be what they land on, is to get these guys a few more minutes with one with two of Khalil Ware, Malik Renew, and Mackenzie Mbako on the court at all times. You're kind of rotating them through so you keep more of your starters on the court. And I think that that's where that, that can that smaller lineup really showed it can work. And so I think that that's something that Indiana has struggled with all year is, is depth and its rotation. And so if you have that extra kind of piece in your arsenal, it can be a little bit more, you don't have to put so many subs on the court at the same time, which has been an issue for IU this year. Dylan, something we've brought up uh, about uh, in the last week or so about that uh, that 13th scholarship that wasn't used. How many times have you found yourself this year watching Indiana and say, man, they could really use this, that, or the other on the court, whether it's three-point shooting, whether it's whatever, and then looking at that vacant 13th scholarship as what could have been. It doesn't even need to be a star player. It could be a guy coming off the bench and, and being able to, to, to shoot and hit a couple threes. But how big of an issue has that been for Indiana and in that Mike Woodson didn't find somebody that could produce any, not, not even a lot, but even a little for, for this Indiana team this year? Yeah, and so that, that's the, the 13th scholarship is part of it. I, I said that in the offseason they needed another guard. I do think that part of what we're seeing is that, A, Xavier Johnson has, has not shot the three nearly as well as he did the last couple of years. I think he thought, okay, he can provide some three-point shooting. He just has it this year, so I think that hurts. And then, I, obviously, like part of part of what you're talking about, what what like three point shooting off the bench and scoring punch off the bench, Jakai Newton would have provided that, I think. And, and I think that that's kind of been lost. Is that Jakai Newton was a guy who came out of high school as a scorer, as a shooter, as a guy who could provide you some of those things, and he just has been lost for the entire season. So you're missing not only that 13 scholarship, but also a couple guys who you thought were provi- would provide shooting are not at all because. Johnson has it because of various issues, and then Newton gets hurt. So it's, it's been kind of a, a um, just a worst-of-all-world situation for IU at the guard position, and it just has caused these three-point shooting issues we've seen the whole year. Dylan Sin, Journal-Gazette, with us. 
Meanwhile, the Big Ten reportedly keeping the 20-game conference schedule, but only 15 teams in the Big Ten tournament, despite 18 teams set to be in the conference with the addition of USC, UCLA, Washington, and Oregon. What gives with this move, Dylan? Yeah, I, I think it's just a recognition that they don't they don't want to start the conference tournament on Tuesday if they can avoid it, would be my guess. They don't want to have these teams play for five days in a row if they can avoid it. Um, and, and I understand the thinking there. The problem is, that, like, the, the whole point of the Big Ten tournament is that everyone has a shot, right? Like, that that's kind of the beauty of the tournament is that you can have a, a 12 or 13 seed make a run all the way to the final and, and have a blast with it and really have a chance to make the tournament. And I like there are certain realities you're going to run into with 18 teams that the, the overall product is just not fair or equal or not as good as it was before, and that's because 18 teams they weren't thinking about basketball and they made the decision to add those teams. And I understand that in some ways the basketball product on the court is going to get better because these are good programs that you're adding in a certain, in certain respects. Although UCLA has been pretty bad this year, but. It, it, it wasn't done with basketball in mind. I think those are realities that we're gonna we're gonna come to realize as we go forward. Is like the product is gonna be different in some ways, worse because of these extra teams because the league is just too big, and, I, and that's gonna be an issue going forward. Dylan, real quick, transitioning over to uh, to college football, real quick. I wanted to ask you about the hiring of Sharon Moore with at Michigan, and it seems like it's a lot of parallels to Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman and saying it's the safe choice he's already on staff continuity what what it, it was also maybe the the it's obviously the safest but do you feel like there was there's an argument there that Michigan should have opened things up to a national search and all that would resulted from that yeah I think there's an argument that they should have done it I just don't think the reality of the situation meant they were going to I think the, the players all wanted more, just like the players all wanted Freeman um, uh, back, back in 2021. And so if you're – basically what happened is Michigan looked around and said, we have a championship-level defense next year coming back. Like they have nine defensive starters returning. And I think they thought, all right, it, it's worth the gamble. We don't know how good Moore is actually going to be, but it's worth the gamble to try to keep that defense together. The continuity hire actually – uh, has some value in that specific way. Um, and, and so then the question is, can Sharon Moore build an offense next year to take advantage of that defense? Because they're returning basically nothing on offense. So can, it, can he build an offense to take advantage of that defense? I think we're going to find out whether that gamble is going to pay off over the next couple of months here as he tries to go into the transfer portal and get some guys. I do think there was an argument to go outside, but the reality of the situation with, uh, with basically a coach in waiting of a national championship winning team, I don't think there was really a, a reality where they were going to actually go outside the program. Dylan Sin of the Journal-Gazette with us. Where are you off to today? Uh, I'm going to Bloomington. Uh, you Iowa tonight. I will be there. All righty. Well, safe travels. I think uh, you already mentioned you're on the, in the car already. So thanks for being with us, and uh, we'll look forward to the write-up Journal Gazette in the paper, journalgazette.net of IU Iowa coming up tonight. Thanks, Dylan. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me on. That's Dylan Sin of the Journal Gazette with us. Coming up on the other side, yes, the reports are out there. An explorer claims to have found Amelia Earhart's plane. We'll give you the details next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Well, they claim, at least one explorer, claims to have finally found Amelia Earhart's plane in the Pacific. 
So, as we wrap it up, Deep Sea Vision, which is an ocean exploration company based in South Carolina, announced over the weekend it captured compelling sonar images, what they believe could be Earhart's aircraft at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. Hmm. They used a high-tech, unmanned underwater drone, 16-member crew. They surveyed more than 5,200 square miles of ocean floor between September and December. So they spotted a plane-shaped object between Australia and Hawaii, about 100 miles off Howland Island, which is where Earhart and her navigator, Fred Noonan, were supposed to refuel but never arrived. Do you see a plane in that sonar image? Uh, I think it look. You could make a case yeah, for it looking I, like I, anything. I, me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know. The shape of the object closely resembles Earhart's aircraft, which was a Lockheed Electra, both in size and tail. The deep sea vision founder Tony Romeo said he's optimistic. So again, it's not definitive, but he says you'd be hard pressed to convince me that this is not an airplane and not Amelia's plane. Yeah, sure. Okay, um, well, you're gonna have to get something down there to actually spot what that is. Yes. I don't know if you're going to try to raise it. You can, there's technology now to send ROVs down there with really good cameras. So it sounds like they're heading back at some point to take a closer look, but that's always been the the biggest missing piece of the Amelia Earhart disappearance is they've never found any pieces of the Electra. Now there are people who have claimed to have found pieces, Right. right? Yes. But it's never been verified. Never been verified. They say you know, her and Fred Noonan landed on a different island and starved. They crashed in the Pacific, whatever. They've never been able to find the plane or pieces of the plane. And could this be the plane? We'll have to find out hopefully soon. They so go back and check it out. All that, they capture the sonar images a month into the expedition. Didn't realize what they had discovered till the last day of their trip. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. So, and they spent, what was it, like $11 million? <laughs> yeah, this dude sold off uh, his, I, I can't remember what it was. It was like an insurance practice or something just to finance his business. So, Wild. I hope yeah. he has success. Well, if, if, he, if he can prove that that's the missing Electra, then he will have yeah, uh, quite will the have success. Success indeed. For sure. But yeah, that's one of those mysterious things that's uh, fascinating. Yeah, people claim they crashed on an island and starved. People claim they were captured by the Japanese because this is late 30s. Yeah, which makes no sense. The Japanese would have promoted that. Um, uh, Or this more likely scenario where they just ran out of fuel. Yeah, and it was interesting back in the day because, you know, like radio waves work funky. So there's reports of people like picking up... um, them asking or requesting this that and the other and hearing it like rural Missouri and stuff like Mm -hmm. that so it's it's pretty fascinating case to study but we'll see if maybe we have an end game here on what happened to Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan for Dylan Sin thanks for joining us for Justin Kinney I'm Caleb Hatch Dan Patrick up next Colin Coward at noon Indiana Sports Beat from 3 to 4 and the Sports Rush with Brett Rump another chance to win Mastodon Suite tickets from 4 to 6 here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM